We want to speak tonight simply on the tent maker. The tent maker. And I ask you just to bear with me because I'm going to be bringing a few things out. Maybe you've heard before. Maybe you haven't heard before. Nevertheless, we want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, the tent maker then. Philippians 1 and verse 18 for the beginning of our reading. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, for to, me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I what not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for all your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father, we ask you again to just seal us with your Spirit this meeting. Shut us in with yourself. Open our hearts with those which cannot be opened as you open Lydia's heart. Lord, open our minds to the Word of God, to the precious Word of truth. And we ask you, Father, that you would take every one of us and Lord, that you would just draw us close to you, that we would be aware and conscious of the Spirit of the Lord in the meeting. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us not to live in the flesh or, Lord, with preconceived ideas, but rather, Lord, to hear your word. And, Lord, may our hearts be stirred. May we become alive, as it were, again unto Christ afresh. And we ask you, Lord, that he would be glorified, that you'd help this frailty of this man, O Lord, and you would lift Jesus up in all ways, and in all things. Father, we thank you for everyone that's turned out tonight. We thank you again. This house is full, even to overflowing. And we ask you now, Lord, that you would settle us in your presence, settle us in our seats. And we ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would enable us to receive the engrafted Word of God, which is able to save a soul. We pray, Father, for those maybe who are away today, tonight, that you would bless them. And those who can't be with us for one reason or another, that they may have their portion also. And Lord, for those, Lord, who just can't be here, Lord, because of sickness or whatever it is, we ask you, Father, that you would be all that you are and all that they need to them at this present time. So settle us in your presence and now enable me, as it were, to preach your word, Lord, that your word would go forth in power, but your word would go forth in truth. And we thank you, Lord, that already you're moving and speaking to us. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. The tent maker is what we want to speak on this evening. And Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, and he shows his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, brothers and sisters, I tell you it all the time. You know, we can be as doctrinal as we need to be. We can be as, uh, as fervent as we, we think we should be. 
But one thing we ought to be at all times, and that is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, devoted to his word, devoted to all that he is and all that he has to give us, but really devoted to the person of the Son of God. Paul is saying here in the first chapter to the Philippian church, he is saying, see my heart for the love of Jesus. He's saying, see my heart that I love Christ with all that I am. Verse 21, look what he says. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I want us to catch that because it's very important. It's the the grounding of our scriptures tonight and the teaching. He says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Listen to what Paul is saying. In other words, this is what he's meaning. Paul is telling us, he's telling the church at Philippi uh, that Christ is the motivation of his heart. That Christ is the motivating, energizing, and pulsating principle that has transformed Paul and his life. Look, we cannot transform our own lives. It's only by the Spirit of God. It's only by the Spirit and the Word and us applying the Word and living according to the Word that will translate us, as it were, from kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, from unsaved to saved. Then when we're in Christ, that is the Spirit of the Lord in us, that you and I can be uh, going on with the Lord and loving Him with all that we are and have. Now notice, Paul is telling us, Christ is my motivation. Can I ask you tonight, what is your motivation in life? Is your family your motivation? There's nothing wrong with being motivated for your family. Is your home? Is your work? Is money? Because we need all of these things to a certain degree, but once one thing takes the place of Christ, they become an idol. And once they take the place of Christ, they take Christ's throne upon the heart of the man and woman, and that becomes the idol unto even God's people. What motivates you tonight? Does riches motivate you? That becomes your idol. Does good health even motivate you? You know, just last night, as I said, there was a young man who was telling the folk this morning, there was a young man from South Carolina says, I heard you online, and I've been backslidden, but I had prayed for this thing and that thing and another thing, and it was all things that he wanted. It was things for me, myself, and I. It's everything that I deserved, and God should have answered the way I wanted to. And because he didn't, listen, I fell out with him. Because he didn't, I stopped loving him. Because he didn't, I stopped walking with him. Because he didn't, I stopped serving him. But you see, brothers and sisters, loving Christ is not what we get from Christ. Loving Christ is loving him for who he is. And that's what matters. It's when we understand who he is, we yield our spirit to his will. We yield our lives unto him and all that his word says about us, to us and for us. And unfortunately, many of us fall out of love with Christ and we lose our motivation in our walk with the Lord. Am I speaking to someone you've lost your motivation? I'm asking you now, have you lost your motivation? When I say motivation, I don't mean your energy. I'm not talking about your flesh and I'm not talking about your own strength. I'm talking about the passion, that pulsating experience of a man and a woman knowing Christ personally and Christ living in them and walking before him that every moment of every day, there's always the Spirit drawing us back into the way when we want to say, do or go wrong. And the Spirit draws us close to Jesus again. Am I speaking to a man or a woman who has lost their motivation? 
who has lost their love for Christ. That first love that the Ephesians had and now it had burnt out by Revelation chapter 2. Second, third generation Christians find themselves that they don't have the passion that the older people had when they were in the first century church. The first church at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out. They don't have the zeal anymore. They don't love Jesus the same way anymore. Oh, they work hard and they do the right thing and they labor along the right tracks and the right ways, but they've fallen out of love with Christ, or at least he is down the list of all that goes before him. Oh, the greatest idol I have known. Whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee, said the old poet. In other words, Lord, it's a chance there's an idol in my heart. Show me it, O God. Show me it, Holy Ghost, and I will tear it down that Christ may inhabit it once more. There's someone here and that has been your experience and that's what's happened. Something has come and now Christ is no longer very centralized in your heart. He's no longer the first place in your life. He's no longer your first love. In other words, the fire that burned bright within you has grown dim and even to an extinguished flame. There's a show now that you're walking in the ways of the world but putting on the religious face. Jesus says, I know your works. And he goes through all the works with the Ephesian church and he says, nevertheless, I have someone against thee. Oh, Jesus, please don't say that about these people. Don't be saying that, Lord. I I pray, Lord, that not one here, Christ would say, oh, I see what you're doing and I see your good works and I see that you're trying, but I have someone against thee because I has left thy first love. You see, the early Ephesians, their love was for Christ. Their love was for Jesus. Oh, they couldn't get enough of him, in other words. Remember, when I was saved, and you know my testimony, many of you, saved from a life of alcohol and drugs, saved with a half a bin liner under my arms, dossing from house to house, trying to find somewhere to stay. I saved from, uh, from pneumonia in my lungs when I fell asleep in the snow and a soldier hit me with the butt of a rifle, poking me to see if I was alive or not. I was saved by sovereign grace alone. He came to me when I couldn't come to where he was. He came to me. And oh, since Christ came into my life, I have never been the same. I've never been the same, brothers and sisters. And I trust that's your experience. Have I got my love ebb and flow? Yes, absolutely. Does my joy go more one day than the next? Yes, absolutely. But one thing I know, that he is my life. Is he your life? Is he your life, brother? Is he your life, sister? Then would you let the devil know tonight, when you assert he's my life, amen and amen unto this end. When you say amen, brothers and sisters. Christ is our life, devil. And you have no place in it. He is my life. Here Paul says the motivating, the energizing, pulsating principle that has transformed me. A man who hated Christ and his gospel. A man who hated every Christian and every follower off the way. A man who put them in prison and stood there while Stephen was stoned to became their very cloakroom attendant while he held their very coats. Now he's my Christ and there's no turning back. There's no turning back for when he meets Jesus, he can never, ever be the same. And he says, listen, he has changed my life. Christ is living in me. Christ is real in me. He is the the motivation of all that I am. In him I live and move and have my being, he's saying. And oh friend, 
I see many Christians and they're defeated. And many people think, well, I'm a Christian, but there's no life. There's no Jesus in their life. There's no spirit. There's no anointing. And I'm wondering, Lord, where are we with you? Where are we? Because, friend, I'm going to show you in a minute. It'll matter at the second coming. It will matter at the second coming. For Christ is coming, the great tent maker. What do you mean the great tent maker? Well, let's hope we get there tonight because I'm getting off my notes as usual. Notice this. For me to live is Christ, he says. And to die is gain. Christ transforms Paul's life every day. And Paul knows it. And a life without Christ is no life at all. But what he's saying is a life with Christ is a life transformed. A life with quality. And a life with superabundance. Jesus himself said in John 10 and verse 10, The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, that's what the people are living under and that's whom they're happy under. They don't realize that they're under a great deceiver and he's a thief and he's stealing, he's killing, he's destroying their lives. He's destroying our communities, he's destroying our young people. He's destroying all around us. He's destroying our families. He's destroying marriages. He's destroying left, right and center and he's destroying churches. He's a deceiver. He's a deceiver. Jesus says, Oh, the thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy. But I love this. He says, I am come. That they might have life, they might have it more abundantly, with a better quality and a greater measure. Oh, life without Christ isn't living, it's existing. But a life with Christ is a life of abundance. Knowing that he is with us, he'll neither leave us, nor will he forsake us. I remember I used to preach about four open hours a week. I built it up to about four open hours a week and I used to do one in Portadown on a, on a minibus and a trailer and one's in Ballyclare and Lisburn and Rathcool, Newton Abbey area at Belfast City Centre and I'd done about four open hours a week and I remember once I was standing in where Corn Market is in Belfast and where that big curly whirly thing to have now it looks like a big potato crisp you know, in the middle silver steel one I don't know what it's meant to be but there used to be a bandstand there does anybody remember that bandstand? And we used to stand up there and we used to sing and, and we used to preach from there and others were down and they were witnessing. So I'd get up to speak one night, or one day it was, and, and as I'm speaking, all of corn markets around, the streets going like this all around, the shoppers were all busy and nobody wanted to know. Nobody was listening. So I'm standing up to the mic and I had my Bible in my hand and I thought, Lord, help me, show me what to say that these people might listen. And suddenly here was Fraser's shop here and another shop there and it came to me. What if a thief ran out of there and someone shouted, stop thief? So on the mic, I started shouting, stop thief, stop thief, stop thief. And everyone started looking all around them. Where's the thief? Stop thief, stop thief. And they all started looking around and they looked at me and said, they go, where's the thief? And I said, the thief cometh not before to steal, to kill and to destroy. I says, you see, friend, you don't even realize it, but there's a thief among you and he's stealing your soul to hell. You can't even see him and realize it. Oh, stop thief. Christ came and he says, I'm going to stop the thief. Hallelujah. He says, I'm going to bleed and die. And I'm going to crush him under my foot. And so you and I are victorious when we come repenting in faith to the foot of the old rugged cross, trusting solely, uniquely, totally and completely in the precious blood of the Lamb. He's a wonderful Savior, isn't he? I remember one time there was a wee man selling burgers and that, and they were all lining up and they were shouting at me. And they were given off to me. And I says, the Lord says, I have meat that you know not of. And come, taste and see that the Lord is good. I was doing all these ones to them. And I caught their attention. 
Oh, friend, let me tell you, when Christ is your motivation, he will be your inspiration too. Oh, he inspires the heart. Let Christ inspire your heart tonight. Even if we stop there and we didn't preach anymore, but it will. But if we stop there and he didn't preach anymore, I, I, that should be enough for us to say, Jesus, inspire my heart. Oh, come and live in me and rule in me. Oh, come and be king over my life. Come and be king over my life. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn-crowned brow. Lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. Oh, Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are the motivation of my life. You're all that I ever am and have and hope to be. I owe it to him, Calvary's lamb. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. (laughs) And to die is gain. Paul's life pulsates with love for the Savior. Paul's life pulsates with thoughts of him. Everywhere Paul goes, reading the scriptures, all he can think of is amazing grace. All they can think of is Christ on a cross. Into the think of is the blood of the Lamb. All they can think of is sins forgiven. Oh, I've been to the temple and I'm a Pharisee and I'm a Jew by religion. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, of the nation of Israel and of all of these things. But listen, he says, I have found him. I have found the one who said, the prophet said would come. I have found him, he says, and he met with me on the road to Damascus. Oh, glory to his name. And he says, he lives in me. Think of where he met you, Christian. Think of the road he found you on and fall in love with Christ all over again for he alone is worthy of all of your heart. Paul says his desire for Jesus is to have more of Jesus. I want to say it again. His desire for Jesus is to have more of Jesus. Paul says that he wanted to know nothing else save Christ and him crucified. Paul is the one who said that he wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Notice he isn't saying, I want to know what it's like to own a jet plane. Well, there weren't any then anyway. But that's what's happening. I want to know what it's like to have a mansion and be riches. I want to know what it's like to have a yacht. I want to know. Paul didn't say that. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I just want him. You see, brother, sister, when you realize and I realize that we have Christ in us and, and we're in love with him, we need nothing else. In destitution, he's still the same. In pain, he's still the same. In anguish, he's still the same. In the storm, he's still the same. When you traverse the folly, he is still the same. Oh, he says, he says he would be with us always, even to the end of the world. He is still the same. Paul says, oh, for me to live. When I'm living, 
I'm living in Christ and Christ in me, and I'm living for Christ. Christians, how far short in the year 2016, coming near 17, how far short have we fallen from Christ? How far short has the church fallen from Christ? Paul is saying, listen to what he says in Colossians 3 and verse 4. When Christ who is our life, I love that. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Notice, Christ who is our life. Paul isn't saying, nor just saying, Christ is in my life. Oh, I have Jesus in my life, and that's lovely. That's good. That's not what he's saying. That may be a starting point for someone who's just saved. I have Jesus in my life, and praise God for that, for people coming to know him. But listen, when you, especially for those who are on the road sometime, it's not just Jesus in your life, or part of your life, or a portion of your life, or a little bit of your life. He said, he says, Christ who is. He is my life. He's all of my life, he's saying. He's all that I am, and he's all that I have. And outside of him, I'm nothing. I wonder how far short I fall. Sure, we we go about our daily duties. We need to. We have to. But I wonder how far short we fall whenever it comes to things like worship. I'm not talking about needing to play an instrument or even having an instrument. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the heart. The greatest instrument there is in the world is the human heart. Let it play a sweet melody to the Savior tonight. Let it be moisturized by the Holy Ghost and saturated with his water, living water. I wonder how far short we fall when we laugh with the world and run with the world and the filthiness of their jokes and the filthiness of the things of the world and it really grieves the Holy Ghost in us. And it grieves him so sore. And even he would flee our breast, as it were, that the very presence of the Lord, oh, I know he's with us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. I'm talking about the immediate felt presence of the Lord in your life. He lifts the presence from you. And you know what you do? You feel. You get what you deserved or what you asked for or what you pled with. You're burnt with the same fire you stuck your hand into because you realize then, here, I'm on my own. You're not. But you feel it because you're now in, you're now in the flesh. Paul says, listen, see what all this world holds. See all that this world affords. There's nothing can compare to the loveliness of Christ. I feel I'm speaking to hearts here saying, Lord, where am I in my heart with you? Notice what he says, Christ who is our life or Speaking personally of himself, he would say, Christ, he is my life. Paul is saying that it is not enough to share your life with Christ, but literally that Christ, that the life in him is Christ himself. And I want you to understand that it, uh, Paul isn't saying, I share my life with Christ either. He isn't saying Christ is a little bit of my life or most of my life or Jesus is living in me. He's not saying that. He's saying, he doesn't say, well, me and, me and Jesus sort of share my life. No, Paul's saying, I'm dead and Christ is living in me. He's saying, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. As if, according to who Paul is, he's been crucified with Christ. 
It's Christ that lives within me. Notice this. Here's a question. And let's ask ourselves this from this man to you. Is he your life? Is he your life? Is he your life? What or who do you live for? Listen, I used to live, well, it started, I used to live for a Saturday night out in the clubs. And then I started living for a Friday and a Saturday night. And then I became addicted and started living for the next drink I could get. I started living for the next fix I could get. I started living for the next uh, crushed up uh, tablet of any form, even cancer tablets. I used to put them in water and crush them down to drink them. For, for you see, uh, this was my life, and it gripped me. I thought I had it, but it had me. And then one night I met Christ. I met him, and I could say, who do you live for, Ken? I'll be honest. It's not a brag. It's an honest truth. My wife's here. She'll tell you. I don't even have any thing that I do at home. But I don't have any hobbies. I know it sounds boring. I don't have a hobby. I said to Alison not so long ago, I'm going to have to get myself a hobby. She says, well, what will you get? I says, I don't know. I don't really want anything to do anything. I'm not lazy. I just don't know what to do. I used to have loads of them. You know why? Because when I met him, even the hobbies went... I don't watch football. I don't go to matches. I don't buy music. Not even Christian music. I don't have hobbies. I do nothing but walk my dog at the most. And Harley swims and I pray. That's my hobby. Seeking his face. Who do you live for? Is your life sort of mixed with Christ and the things of the world? Who is it you love? This isn't condemnation, brothers and sisters, friends. Please understand it's not condemnation. But maybe a little stirring in our hearts will cause us to have an examination of where we are with him. Paul says in Colossians 1 and verse 27 that Christ in you the hope of glory. Notice Christ in you. And again, it isn't living your life with Christ. No, I know the, the apostles went and, and God worked with them. And I understand that's what it means, but that's not the full entitlement of it. That's not the full word of it. It means that Christ lived himself through them. They were dead and Christ would live. So every time we pray, maybe like the young man, and it's not a condemnation to him either, who wants to pray and say, well, didn't get this, that, or the other thing. Listen, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about his glory. It's not about tickling ears. It's not about trying to help, uh, 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 to, to transatiate the flesh. It's not about our desires and our wills and our wants. It's about the will of God. It's about Christ in our life. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die and gain is gain, reverberating the power of God through him. Now, Paul is not desiring death. To die, to die is gain. He's not desiring death. 
Now, I'll make that clear. Now, this is where it gets a little bit deeper, so I need you to listen. I need you to try and grasp this, and bear with me. When we die, we know the Spirit returns on the God which gave it, and the body will go into the ground, and we know uh, then we await the resurrection. Now, notice this. Paul's saying for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, not wishing death, but death is not a fear to Paul. Paul, as far as Paul's concerned, is already dead. But Christ is alive in him. Paul's already dead and gone. He may be up and walking, he says, but my life is totally sold out for Christ. He motivates me. He's pulsating through me. The power of God's flowing through me. Now listen to this. This is where it gets a little deep, so listen to me. Paul wants more of Christ, that death is not again, but the only way for him to experience the Lord Jesus in a greater way is if Paul would die and wait to know the resurrection power. Paul's saying, I know I'll die, and my spirit will return to God which gave it. But that's not my full redemption. That's not the whole salvation. You see, you're living in a body of flesh and it's going to get weary and weak and that's why we pray and we have to trust God for healing and, and salvation for the lost souls and we still have to, to, to move and, and we still have to minister and we still have to serve and your body will get tired and weary and weak and, and someday our bodies will die. They'll die. You sitting in your seat and the man you're listening to, you will die. It's in the fall of Adam, we'll die. Paul is saying this, for me to live now is Christ. And even if I die, I'll be like a seed planted in the ground. And when he returns, it will start to flower again at the resurrection, and I will know the fullness of my salvation to die will be gain if Paul would die in the resurrection he will appear with Christ in glory and at the coming of his kingdom then Paul was secure that even death cannot break the love of God for him the song of Solomon tells us love is as strong as death you know I'm sure we all have or most of us have lost a loved one and strange with it, for some reason, I don't know why, with it being my birthday today, I thought, on Friday, Alison got all the younger ones, the wee great, uh, wee great nieces and nephews, my nieces and nephews, and I'm the patriarch, I'm the oldest now in the family. Everybody around me, they're all gone. I have a brother younger, younger but he's in Scotland. And so it was me and all these other younger ones, even my wife. She's younger than me too. <laughs> I was just looking around them and I seen the big number. I'd love to say 3-0, but it was 5-0 on the card. And on balloons it should set up and we're all having something to eat on Friday. And I'm sort of looking thinking, whose birthday party am I at? <laughs> it was mine. I started to think about things. My brother sent me photographs of when we were younger, messing around. And the more I looked at them and the more I uh, run them over, in my head and you know you get a bit sentimental maybe at times and I'm thinking about it and I'm all gone 
heaviness comes. You see, I still love them. I love them. I miss them. And that heaviness came on me. Love is as strong as death. Because they died, it doesn't stop me loving them. But when they die in Christ, and you're in Christ, we sorrow not as others which have no hope, because we're going to see them again. That's our joy. Oh, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. It's going to be a marvelous day, isn't it? Paul is saying here that the resurrection is going to come a great end gathering, a great harvest of the lost, and a great harvest of the saved. The saved that is coming and the lost before the judgment seat, the great white throne judgment, those who are outside of Christ. But notice what Paul's saying here. At the time of his writing, Paul says that he will live and he will live well for Christ. For Paul himself is already dead, and Christ just inhabits his body as far as Paul's concerned. So how much, how far have we fallen as a church whenever we think we can live how we like and do what we want, and when churches can put on programs and trying to substitute the Holy Ghost? There's no substitute. Our pastor used to tell me it all the time, tell us it all the time. He used to shout from the pulpit, there's no substitution for the Holy Ghost. There is no substitution for the Holy Ghost. And I find myself doing the same. I was talking to Pastor McConnell last week with Allison. We were sitting having a cup of tea with him and his wife in his house. And he says to us, you know what, son? I said it years ago and it's coming true now. The days are going to come in the churches when, this is his words, when men will be sawing old dogs in half and pulling rabbits out of hats. And these are the days that he's prophesied of. <laughs> Isn't it true? Isn't it true? Oh, listen, when you have Christ in you, Christ is living through you, you can go anywhere. You can take him, and he will still anoint. In verse 20, Paul says, Notice this. I thought this was marvelous. He says, Christ shall be magnified in my body. But Paul, your body's going to die. Your body's going to rot. In fact, Paul's body is still in the grave tonight. How is Christ magnified in your death? Do you ever wonder, Lord, how do you, how do you be glorified in the death of my loved one? How do you ever bring anything good out of this? For it's an enemy. <laughs> and I hear the still small voice saying, Son, I've defeated that enemy. It's only for a short time. Trust my hand. Trust my heart. Paul says, Christ will be glorified in my body. Paul's getting ready soon to put his head on a chopping block. The cold, hard steel of the axe man's axe is going to be laid heavy upon his neck and his head will be severed from his body. Now, how is Christ glorified in it? You know how he's glorified in it? Because Paul writes the word under the inspiration of the Spirit and leaves it up to God to carry it and not him. And in the resurrection, he will be glorified for he will take Paul, headless and all. He'll join his head back on and he's going to resurrect Paul 
and we were going to meet Paul. Christ is glorified. Listen, Christ is sovereign over all things. There's not a square inch on this earth or within heaven and earth where Christ cannot declare nor claim, Mine! Seen a few jump in there. <laughs> Listen, he says in verses 23 and 24, For I am in a strait betwixt two. I love that language, betwixt two. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul's life. Paul lives his life to magnify Jesus, to labor for Jesus. Paul lives his life in the power of Jesus. For Paul's dead. He's on his feet, but he's dead. Christ is living in him. You know what it means? It means Jesus stepped into Paul. Now we're coming to the tent. I'm going to have to round this tent bit up quick. I just got carried away. And he's saying, he's going to occupy me. Listen, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob. He says, like they dwelt in tents and moved about. He says, so he steps into me, and I'm just a tent. So Jesus is everywhere. That's the way you're to be. Every time you go to work, every time you're at home, when you're going to pray, you are to pray thinking, Lord, I'm already dead. It's you living in me. You do what you're going to do. Let him take over. The old poet once wrote, there's only one life and it will soon be past. And only what's done for Christ will last. And that's so true. Paul is enthused and elated by the living Christ in him. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen to Puritan Thomas Goodwin. Listen to what he says. Life is an excellency added to being. Life is an excellency added to being. See, we were just being. We were just living until Jesus came into our hearts. And it's an excellency that's been added to us. And so Paul, he says, I live for Christ. Let me show you this and we'll round this up. Verse 23 says, I am in a strait betwixt two having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Paul was writing, as I said, from a Roman prison. But notice this. He knew death would come, but Paul knew that he was ready. If death wrapped your door tonight, are you ready? Well, I sort of think I'm a Christian and you're not ready. You're not ready. Brothers and sisters, this is me boasting in Christ. Should death wrap my door tonight? Don't you worry where I am. I'll be with Christ, which is far better. I'm ready. Are you? Are you? I'm already dead. Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2 and 20, Paul says that. Paul says, having a desire to depart. Now notice the word depart and to be with Christ. The term here for to depart is a military term. What do we mean? It's a military term which means, listen, to take down one's tent quickly and move on. To take down one's tents quickly and move on. The army received the blow of the horn. And a certain sound of the horn called them, get out of their tents, take them down, get them on the back of the cart, and off they go. Paul says, listen, he uses this word, the Lord's about to blow the trumpet call for me. He's about to call my name. He's about to call me home and I'm ready that the Romans are going to kill me to take down this tent. That's what he means. To take down one's tent. Paul was a tent maker by trade so he's using these analogies. In Acts chapter 18 and 3 we're told he was a tent maker. We haven't time to go into it. And so Paul is saying, look, look, I'm looking for a, 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 a a city whose foundations, with foundations with whose builder and maker is God. Now we think of a big city and it's going to be a big stone or a gold city. That's not what he means. That's not what he means. Paul's saying, no, I'm living in a tent. See this body I'm in? It's a tent. It's going to corrupt. It's going to be taken down. It's going to be put into the ground. But I'm looking for something greater at the resurrection. When Jesus comes, I'm going to be clothed with his glory. I'm going to be clothed with the glory of Christ. Because he's alive in me now. What a transition. The Lord Jesus became flesh, John 1 and 14. The word was made flesh. The idea is, and dwelt among us. The word dwelt gives the idea of the root word for dwelt means, and came and tented among us. Tented among us, tabernacled. God came and tabernacled in a tent of flesh. And of course, in Revelation 21, In verse 3, we're told, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And there is here the tabernacle or the tent of God. doesn't mean to say a big tabernacle again, like in the wilderness, nor even a big temple. You know what it means? Christ is coming to dwell with you and me. The tabernacle of God. Everything about God. All who the Father is resides in him. I think that's tremendous. Resides in him and he is coming again. The tent, the human body of the Lord Jesus was broken on the cross. He broke bread. The tent was taken down when he died on the cross of Calvary. Let's finish with this. Thank you for your attention. Second Corinthians chapter 5 if you want to turn it up briefly for me. Second Corinthians chapter 5. You've listened to me really well. And I appreciate your attention tonight. Second Corinthians 5, verse 1 says, Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house off this tabernacle were dissolved, this is if we die, 
if your body rots, our loved ones, whether they're buried at sea or burned alive or whether they're crushed or whether they're hung, drawn and quartered throughout time, whether they're hung and heads taken off and sent to one end of the country to the other, no matter what it is, he says, even though this earthly tabernacle, this tent or house of God will be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now people think, well, there we are. We'll float off. No, listen, verse 2. And in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our house from heaven. Paul says, you know what? I'm going to die. They're going to chop off my head. And Paul, you're still in the grave, but see, when Christ returns, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And Paul is going to receive his house from heaven. He's going to be clothed with it, with the glory of Christ. We shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul is saying, Christ lives in me. Christ lives through me. I am dead that he may have the preeminence. Brothers and sisters, when he comes back again, Paul says, I'm sure of the resurrection, and I am going to be clothed with my house from heaven, with the beauty of Christ upon me. What about you? What about you? Are you saved, even? Maybe we're all saved tonight. Are you saved? Are you trusting Jesus? Is he living in you? I don't mean did you just ask him into your life and you get on with life. No, because that is not salvation. I want to make it clear to you tonight because now it's like, oh, 200 people came to the Lord. I've seen a, a, a something up recently online and it said, oh, 100, big 150, massive. 150 young people came to the Lord because they came and they said, I want help from Jesus. That's not salvation. That's dangerous. Salvation is the word of God entering their heart. Changing them. Trusting in Christ alone. That's salvation. Are you saved? Are you blood washed?